Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lichten Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, along with Dr. Edward Lichten, an expert in the field of anti-aging and wellness medicine, and also the author of the textbook of Bioidentical Hormones. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to learn about compound pharmacies. Before mass production of medications became normal, compounding was a routine activity among pharmacists. And today, compound pharmacies are still around. In fact, they're seeing a surge in new business due to the popularity of hormone replacement therapy. We're going to have a pharmacist in studio. He'll explain how compound pharmacies differ from the traditional pharmacy and how we can benefit from using them. And then later in the show, we're going to talk about sex. We're going to discuss how balancing your hormone levels can turn back your biological clock allowing you to experience sex the way you did in your 20s and 30s. Do you remember that? We'll discuss alternatives for men with ED and show how women can eliminate some of the negative symptoms associated with menopause. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss any of this. And as I reminded you last week, we have a new email address. You can send your questions or comments to usdoctorradio.com. Again, that email address is usdoctorradio.com. Send your questions. We'll be happy to answer them. Also, you may want to contact Dr. Lichten, and you can call him for a consultation at his office. The phone number there is 248-593-9999. Again, the number 248-593-9999. Or check him out on the web at usdoctor.com. The website again for Dr. Lichten, usdoctor.com. Hey, doctor, how are you today? Everything's good, Steve. And you? Oh, great. I've got some email questions. Uh, We had a question from Karen in Boston. She listens on iTunes, and she wrote this. Dr. Lichten, I stumbled on your show while searching for programs on HRT. I've heard that HRT, that's hormone replacement therapy, is only safe for up to five years. Is this true? And if I stop after five years, will I go back to feeling the way I did prior to therapy? Well, the first statement is, no, I don't believe HRT is good for five years. I believe you should take HRT until your last day on this planet because Mother Nature didn't decide for you to give up your hormone replacement when you're young and active. The reason the government is passing the term out for five years is because the Women's Health Initiative, which is using Premarin, that's that concentration horse urine, along with Provera, which is a carcinogen blocked in over 60 countries, as the sine qua non treatment for hormone replacement. Now, as we discussed last time, Provera increases the risk of breast cancer, deep vein thrombophobitis, and stroke. So they've sort of compromised by not putting the drug company out of business, but saying, gosh, you can take it for five years. It looks like it's safe. But if you go back to the second part of the Women's Health Initiative, taking Premarin alone, there wasn't the complications that were associated with the Provera. In Europe, they use a combination of estrogen and a different progestin forever. And this is part of the British European study. So in my practice, we monitor our patients, but we offer them ERT, estrogen replacement, bioidentical, natural estradiol with natural progesterone and natural testosterone for life. All right, now another uh, email question from Bob in West Bloomfield. He wrote, last week you discussed hormone safety with women. What are the safety concerns for men? I've heard that testosterone therapy might cause prostate cancer. Is that true? 
exactly opposite. The work done by Morgenthaler, who actually has a book out now out of Harvard, showed that the men who get prostate cancer are the one with the lowest levels of testosterone, which really makes sense because what happens is when your immune system is not working, you'll get disease. So in his study, the men who had the lowest level of testosterone and had a slightly elevated PSA, levels between 2 and 4, and 4 is when the urologists get nervous, 1 in 3 had prostate cancer. Now, in my practice over the last 20 years, I've probably picked up 60 cases of prostate cancer that walk in the door. But of the men I've had on testosterone replacement, we've had two cases of prostate cancer in 20 years. That's a heck of a difference because I believe if your immune system is working, you live longer, you feel better, and you have less disease. And and you write those uh, two cases of prostate cancer off as, I mean, that's normal, right? Men get prostate cancer. Well, actually, the first one was one of the first three men in the office, and the urologist made a mistake. He didn't think three was significant. And the other one was the guy who came in and out of my office who was diabetic. And other than that, uh, there was one case we followed, a young guy with, didn't know his family history. We picked up his prostate cancer. He's actually a biologic. He's actually a physical trainer now, and he's been on his testosterone replacement after his prostate surgery. It's been more than 15 years. So, yes, I believe that hormone replacement for males should go on to the last day also. All right, and guys, we're going to be talking about sex later, and I'll have some follow-ups on that for you. But now a couple of stories in the news you may or may not have heard. A new study shows the length of fertility for women may be a risk factor for Parkinson's disease. Women who are fertile for more than 39 years and who have had natural menopause have a reduced risk of developing Parkinson's disease, according to a new study, while women with four or more pregnancies have a higher risk. Now, fertile lifespan is the number of years from first menstruation to menopause. 35 or 36 years is about average. It does appear that hormones and reproductive factors play a role in the development of Parkinson's disease. Hormonal factors and their possible role in Parkinson's disease have been studied for at least 15 years, and it affects more men than women. Now, the question is, why are women at decreased risk? Is there a hormonal role? Could female hormones be protective? And the study suggests that it is clearly some form of hormonal role in play here, but they're adding it's maybe too premature to consider this for you know going on hormone replacement therapy right now, but they're definitely looking into it. Again, other than the Women's Health Initiative, which used synthetic Premarin and oil derivative Provera, mm-hmm. studies out of Europe as well as studies here say the women who are on natural hormones the longest, that's the ones who have the latest menopause, have less heart disease, have less diabetes, have less strokes, have less Alzheimer's disease. So I'm not surprised that if you have a late menopause and you've had a longer reproductive career with more longer periods of natural estrogen, that in fact you have less disease. It's just logical. Stay young, stay healthy, live longer. And so now, though, they're looking at the hormonal link and maybe another application for hormone replacement therapy. Definitely. How about that? Huh? Another story is something that you've talked about for a long time. A study shows that vitamin D may have a role to play in preventing colds and flu. New studies suggest that vitamin C may have been stealing the spotlight for all of these years from the real cold fighter, vitamin D. 
The study, the largest to date on the link between vitamin D and common respiratory infection, shows that people with the lowest vitamin D levels report having significantly more cases of cold and flu than those with higher levels. And that vitamin D is produced by the body in response to sunlight, and it's also found in fortified foods such as milk. Now, the results showed that those with the lowest vitamin D levels were 36% more likely to report having a recent upper respiratory tract infection than those with higher levels. And the association persisted during all four seasons, and it was even stronger among those with a history of asthma or COPD. So more information that, I mean, you've been talking vitamin D for a long time, right? Right. When we put the first article out in uh, early 2007, before the book came out, there have been over 600 articles in the lay press now on vitamin D. Interesting, a study came out showing the incidence of multiple sclerosis was four times higher in those who had the lowest level of vitamin D. That's the immune function. We know vitamin D affects how well you absorb your vitamins and minerals. Vitamin D, I use it in the office to help you with sleep. And without a good night's sleep, your body is immunologically compromised. Uh, D has so many applications, and in this office, I've had three people in three years who've had normal levels. So it's ubiquitous. Everybody is vitamin D. What? Three people in three years have been normal? That's right. It's just everyone is vitamin D deficient. And just taking two, three drops of high-dose vitamin D at bedtime, you know, cost of like $40 a year, can give you this treatment. Better night's sleep, help your immune function, help your absorption, and maybe protect, you know, 15 or 20 diseases, even correlation between vitamin D and colon cancer levels. And, and dosing, though, is um, variable. I mean, I see it uh, 1,000 milligrams, 2,000, uh, and, and they t- say that if you go out in the sun, you can do 10,000, right? If, Make- if you have young skin, and we don't have young skin anymore, so actually what we dose in the office is between four and 6,000 units at a time. And the interesting new thing, I've had two uh, African-American women who are on chronic blood pressure medicine, on vitamin D, their blood pressure dropped. So with darker-skinned people, they need more vitamin D. Studies showed 10,000 units a day can be helpful. It's something that's so simple and so ignored. If you do nothing else but buy a bottle of vitamin D drops, you're going to make your life better. And so where should they start? Or the dosage, how much? The dosage I recommend is 4,000 I use. That's two drops, and I put a spot on my website where you can buy it directly. And it's just usdoctor.com, hit products, and under the products, under the bottle of vitamins, there's a form. Click on it. You can order the drugs directly, from the vitamins directly from the vitamin company, and that's where you would start. Take it at night because it helps you sleep or yes. anytime? Oh, I like taking it at night. Two, three drops at bedtime. All right, good deal. One more news story and an interesting one. Masturbation frequency linked to prostate risk in 20s, but protection in your 50s. Frequent masturbation in young men is linked to higher risk of early prostate cancer, but it lowers prostate cancer risk for men in their 50s. High level of male sex hormones or androgens may increase a man's risk of prostate cancer, but different studies of this question done in different ways have reached different conclusions. Now, to look at the question in a new way, a team of researchers at England's University of Nottingham looked at whether men with more intense sex drives were at a higher risk of prostate cancer. And the findings were surprising. Sexual intercourse did not affect 
prostate cancer risk. But frequent masturbation did in different ways at different times of life. Frequent masturbation during men's 20s and 30s increased their risk of prostate cancer, but men in their 50s who masturbated frequently had decreased risk. Of course, masturbation frequency is relative. For men in their 20s, frequent masturbation was two to seven times per week compared to the same age men who reported masturbating less than once per month. 20-something frequent masturbators had a 79% higher risk of prostate cancer by the age of 60. And for men in their 50s, frequent masturbation was one or more times per week compared to the same age men who reported never masturbating. 50-something frequent masturbators had a 70% lower risk of prostate cancer. So the interesting part here is they suggest that young men genetically predisposed to having hormone-sensitive prostate cancer will be at higher risk if their bodies naturally produce high levels of male hormones, the same hormones that give them that intense sex drive. So it's not actually the masturbation itself that's increasing prostate cancer risk in young men. More masturbation may just mean more sex drive and more androgens bathing prostate tissues. So that's not the case, though, with older men. In older men, masturbation itself may actually be helpful, ridding the prostate of prostate gland fluids that, I guess, build up and contain cancer-causing substances. So in the mature age, it may be more important that the toxins get flushed out of your system. And because the masturbation frequency was not as high in men in their 50s as it was in their 20s, even low levels of masturbation in their 50s had a protective effect. So knock yourself out. What about that? Well, that's first rule of life. (laughs) Statistics don't lie, only statisticians. Okay? So there's so many factors missing here Mm -hmm. that you have an interesting study that I don't think means anything at all. So let's start at the beginning. Number one, what is the population you're exploring? Okay? Are you comparing... Uh, white college kids uh, at one university situation, or are you comparing people who include a lower socioeconomic level? So if you have a population in where there's a different socioeconomic level who's using masturbation as a uh, treatment modality, and they're also exposed to a higher risk of infection because the girls they get when they get them are not, uh, you know, they're carrying different disease processes, yes, they're going to get prostate cancer. The second matter is is that looking at testosterone levels wasn't done either. So what happens is we know the guys with the lowest testosterone levels are most prone for prostate cancer. Okay? So as a little wily guy who can't get anything, the one who's taking care of himself, he's at risk for prostate cancer anyway. So the point is when you look at this statistic... It's completely worthless because you don't have an understanding of of the epidemiology of what populations you're talking about, okay? And you really haven't analyzed what socioeconomic class is. So that study to me is absolutely completely worthless, okay? But you have to admit, it it makes for a great story, right? Yeah, but now everybody out there says, gee whiz, I can't masturbate. i got to go out and hire a prostitute. That's not going to help them either. Well, wait a minute. If you're over 50 and uh, your wife happens to walk in on you, you're, you, know, you don't have to feel weird anymore. Honey, I'm just doing something for my health here. <laughs> you said it. I didn't. Thank you very much. Hey, let's, let's move on. We talked last week a lot about compound pharmacies. 
Personally, I'm fascinated by them. I happened to stop by a compound pharmacy in Troy, Michigan, one you had sent me to. Uh, I trained with weights, and I had a shoulder issue, and, and Dr. Lichten said, hey, I have something you can put on that. It, it was like a, a cream that I rubbed into my spot. Really kind of unique because, you know, when you're taking Advil or something like that and your liver's processing it and you're taking it through the whole body, it just made sense to me that if you can apply it to the source that, you know, maybe it gets to the spot. And the uh, compound pharmacists have been using this cream, I, I'm going to guess I've had it from them for at least 15 years. There was nothing like it available in the public domain. They used a combination of a ketoprofen, which is uh, uh, like a Motrin product, and they put it in a special base so it could penetrate through the skin, and they added to it a muscle relaxer. And the way they made it, there was nothing available in the world. So the compounding pharmacists in this case, gave me a product for my patients with headaches and muscle pains and joint pains that you couldn't buy as FDA approved anywhere in the world. And that's one of the things that compounding pharmacists can do. They can make up unique products that are not available yet, although I'm sure they hope in the future this is a commercial product, but this is something that they have done that does serves a unique purpose for so many of us. Well, let's bring in the expert. We've got a guest in studio today, Brad McCloskey. He's a licensed pharmacist from University Compounding Pharmacy in Troy, Michigan. Brad, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot, Steve. All right, so you're going to give us the deal on this. i got a lot of questions. I'm very curious. When I was in your pharmacy, I noticed in the back room you have production facilities, and it was just very cool. So why don't we start by explaining what are compound pharmacies? A compounding pharmacy... Um takes um, medications that are come from a FDA-approved manufacturing facility, and we prepare them in ways that can solve uh, patients' problems, uh, be it hormone replacement therapy issues, pain management, pediatric dosing, um, even veterinary medications. This is all done in a uh, clean environment. Some preparations are done in stale rooms under hoods, and others are done... Um, using fine uh, wing um, utensils, um, other procedures to make creams that are very smooth. So and like some of the cream applications, uh, you're actually mixing those right there in that clean room of yours, right? Yes. We make every, um, every valid prescription. You need a prescription for any medications uh, that come into the pharmacy, and, we, and each patient will have their own preparation compounded specifically for them in our pharmacy. Which is so cool because, um, you know, you remember a long time ago, and every pharmacist I still think uses the logo. They have that little dish with the... Uh, the mortar and pestle. Exactly. Yes. So way back when, this was commonplace for pharmacists to make formulations, correct? Correct. And, and we're trying to get back to showing that one strength of one medication really can't solve the problems for everyone. That's a great point because, uh, you know, take, uh, let's just take Advil, right? Mm -hmm. Or aspirin, 325 milligram aspirin. Is it right for everybody, every size, every weight? And the question then is, uh, well, maybe not. So why wouldn't one of those manufacturers of aspirin or, or Advil make them in different variable strengths but i guess common sense would tell us that they just they couldn't do that i mean it's not feasible to make 20 different product strengths for each product and and expect a retailer to to shelf that yeah it wouldn't be profitable for their company the way it's set up and we can help solve 
problems for some of the patients who don't fit the, the usual dosage range. Or if they can't take a medication, we can change the way it's given from a pill to a suspension for children or from a, um, from a capsule to a cream that you can use on the skin if you want to keep it in a certain area of your body. That sounds huge, a suspension form for children because, mm-hmm. you know, any, anyone that has kids knows how they don't like to take pill form. And, and Dr. Lichten, you like dealing with compound pharmacies because you can get a specific formulation that you know fits your patient better than something off the shelf. Well, definitely, and I can mix different preparations. So if someone's going to use a product, we may use two or three different products in one cream. And uh, this could apply to the bioidentical hormones of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. There are products that the major drug companies have stopped manufacturing, but they're FDA-approved, and the compounding pharmacists can get the powders and make the injections or the pills that I want to that a big manufacturing company just didn't think was profitable. And yet I know from 40 years of medicine that this medication will be unique. An example is uh, is a problem, product called Donatol or Belergol, which is an old-fashioned treatment of belladonna from the what, 300... AD, mm-hmm. and it works great for hot flashes. There's women who have had breast cancer and have terrible hot flashes. They don't want to take an estrogen, and uh, and Brad and his dad will make up the Donatol tablets to match Belergol, which isn't available anymore. So th- then what's the difference between a compound pharmacy and a traditional? Purely the fact that you can actually blend uh, exact formulations where they may not? Compared to let's say, a larger chain pharmacy Correct. that you're familiar to, Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, they do not buy any um, chemicals. They're, they're just interested in dispensing something that's pre-made. They don't have a laboratory set up in the back that we've got certified through different organizations. And yet you walk in the University Compounding Pharmacy in Troy, Michigan. It looks like any other pharmacy. You have full service that other pharmacies have as well. A doctors phone in prescriptions. People pick them up. They're ready for them, right? Correct. We still do the regular medications, all your blood pressure medications, etc. We do that. We also have the added benefit of doing the compounded prescriptions to encompass our entire, you know, the spectrum that some patients may need. So how about you as a pharmacist? Uh, did you have to take any additional education to work in a compound pharmacy versus traditional? Yes, we work with um, PCCA, which is the Professional Compounding Centers of America, and we've been trained on the aseptic techniques for sterile preparations, and they, they give you guidelines on how to produce um, compounds in a safe and effective way, an accurate way, that, that it's safe for other patients. They provide us with information on studies on how to compound new medications. If we don't know how to do that, we can reference their vast um, staff and their knowledge on how to prepare custom medications for patients. So let's talk about that. What kind of preparations do you prepare? Hormone replacement therapy preparations for sure, but other stuff too, right? Yeah, the, the vast majority of our business currently is uh, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Another large part of that is our pain management creams. Like Dr. Lichten was saying, the ketoprofen is your anti-inflammatory. I like that. And we can combine in other ingredients for nerve pain and diabetic neuropathy. Um, gabapentin um, is used for that. And we also go into other areas of pediatrics, such as autism. And we've found a new way for um, doctors to treat autism. Um, you know, the, those 
patients would have to take 50-some pills a day, which we can, can now combine into one powder or one suspension that you know the parents can give to a child that is just rejecting all the different pills. Really? Yeah. And and this is working well for them. Yes, they've they've been coming back, you know, for refills and we've been branching out into this area with um certain centers that specifically prescribe autistic medications. And so it's what they were originally prescribed just in a different application. It's just combining many different ingredients together in an easier dosage form. There was a big problem there. Mm-hmm. They wanted to give them this whole gamut of medications, but it was too difficult. So we, we created a solution for that by combining them into one capsule or putting them into a flavored suspension that the child would take. And, and what is the general physician's receptivity to that type of uh transport system for the drug versus what they had been giving them. Are they really aware that this is out there? Some physicians who are not aware of it are very hesitant just because they have not been exposed to any education in the field. But after they've seen the results of it, many of them just think it's wonderful. It's just a wonder that, you know, they didn't know it was there. And once they find it, they come back with many questions and we can we can solve a lot of their problems. That sounds really interesting. Hey, let's talk about the form we're talking cream, but in fact, are some of these actually gels? For the, uh, you know, for example, for the hormone replacement therapy, that can be even that can be given through the creams, or it can be put in a gel, and it can also be given orally by capsules. It just depends on the way the physician would like it to be dispensed. And what's the difference between a gel and a cream? They both are topical applications. Uh, the gels are typically used to increase the penetration of the medication. Uh, if you're not getting a certain level of medication from a cream, we'll take you into to a gel. And we use a, um, a transdermal gel, which is a biphasic gel. One part dissolves the drug, the other agent penetrates the skin to increase the blood absorption. And so, um, obviously, I mean, some doctors are, are still injecting patients. Uh, with some of this medication, some will use the cream or the gel. What are you seeing out there uh, in the pharmacy? Uh, more gels, uh, creams versus injections today? And what do you think the advantages are, one versus the other? Uh, currently, creams are more are more used because of the patient desirability. Um, people simply just don't like using injections. And another thing with injections, if you're going to give an injection, you get a high dose of the medication all at one time and then your levels are going to fall back down which creates a big peak and valley and and the goal of this is to be able to keep a constant dosage level for example with hormones you don't want to peak in a trough you know let's a, a mountain in a valley you want to keep it steady so using skin absorption it's very constant and slow whereas an injection is one big bang let's say dr Lickton, you use both forms right Right, and the thing that uh, we have to understand is every specialty has an area that they use for compounding. Uh, Brad will tell you they make up special eye drops for ophthalmologists. For gynecologists, they make up special vaginal creams. For the physical therapists and the physiatrists, they make up the topical creams 
for the pain. Now I learned today about the autism for the pediatrician. I'm sure Brad could sit here and talk for the next 30 minutes about every different specialty, has been familiar with compounding pharmacy. It's not like it just suddenly appeared today. It's been around for the last 100 years. So if there's a special need, every one of us has been trained that this is a special place to get what we need. What we're talking about is the fact of, of a little more ubiquitous, a more diffuse point of view mm-hmm. with bioidentical hormones and with pain management, uh, make up a sucker. Uh, with a, a morphine derivative for someone with pain so they don't need a patch. A sucker. Yes. And wow. these are ideas and, and lotions, and uh, you can put on your gums. And there's different things that you can make up because they have the modality of creating the delivery system. So we don't want to think about just that it's a hormone, but we're talking about a delivery system. And, uh, and it goes on and on and on, and we could sit here and talk but. It's Brad's part. I'm gonna I, I love it, though. I'm going to back out. I, I love that you can get uh, these formulations in a in a better – with a better way to take them. I mean, a better delivery system. Exactly. So, uh, listen, you know, a lot of talk lately about hormone replacement therapy. Oprah Winfrey did a show. Suzanne Summers has been all over the place. Have you seen an increase in business recently due to the popularity of hormone replacement therapy and those television shows? There's been a lot of questions from new customers. Where can I find a physician who specializes in in hormone replacement therapy? And and to be honest, there's not a a whole there's not a huge amount of them. And right now, a lot of them are getting bombarded with new patients. They're filling up, and the wait times are increasing because of this exposure. But there's a there's a whole program set up for functional medicine that physicians can take and and get the in, complete education on. Um, using bioidentical hormones with with other natural therapies as a way to prevent the aging process. We're not going to re- we're, we're not going to reverse age. We're just going to make aging a more enjoyable process to increase the quality of life of the patients. Brad, I love what you guys do at the University Compounding Pharmacy in Troy, Michigan. If someone wants to call and ask you a question. I know you're good at answering them. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, they can give us a call at two four eight. Two six seven five zero zero two. Uh, we're open Monday through Friday, eight thirty to six. Saturday, nine to noon. There's always a pharmacist there to help you out with any questions you have. You can also visit us on the inter- internet at ucprxmichigan.com. I highly recommend you check these guys out. Again, the number two four eight two six seven five zero zero two. Brad McCloskey from the University Compounding Pharmacy in Troy, Michigan, has been our guest. Thanks a lot for coming. I appreciate it. And now, Doctor, guess what? It's time for us to talk sex. All right, we talked about it last week. And now it's time to talk about it again. Dr. Licken, everybody wants to know about hormones and sex, how they can help you. Let's kick it off with, again, a brief description. How can hormones affect and help our sex life? Well, the hormones that we have in our body have one purpose, and that's our reproduction. If we don't reproduce, there's no more humans. So we know everything we do is based on reproduction, our growth pattern, our hormone reduction, our production, and what we do with those hormones is all geared to reproduce. 
So men are supposed to have sex and women are supposed to uh, have babies, and that's it. Uh, after that, it's all a question of how we enjoy what we're supposed to do biologically. The sex drive in the male and the female is driven by a hormone called estrogen because what happens is there are no testosterone receptors in the brain. So actually is that the estrogen component is necessary for both men and women to have a sex drive. However, in the body, the way it's produced, the women produce about two-thirds as much testosterone as, estro- as, estro- as a male. Excuse me. So if you remember the Adam and Eve corollary is God made man, took his rib, and ended up making the female. So testosterone is the higher-level hormone, and the derivative of it is estrogen. Women convert testosterone to estrogen, and they do that very quickly. Within seconds, 98% of the testosterone is, produced, is converted to estrogen. But men, young men, have plenty of free testosterone. We can see that whether they're 16 years old or sometimes even 60. The more free testosterone, the more they're driven to have sexual relations. The problem with aging is that Mother Nature has built in this aromatization, this conversion of testosterone and estrogen. And as we get older, Mother Nature has figured out or built into the system that as you get older, your chances of reproducing are less. So the process of converting testosterone to estrogen is what kills men. That's why when you look at these 50, 60, 70-year-old men, they look pregnant. They're soft and fluffy. They don't have free testosterone. So, yes, free testosterone is a key to a male's fountain of youth, sexual reproductiveness, youthful behavior, mental focus, lack of depression, good sleep, good muscle tone. Uh, Testosterone to a male is really everything other than having a female. All right, so let's talk man-to-man here. How do you know if you're having a problem? I mean, obviously the first sign would be perhaps loss of erections or inability to sustain erection. Is that how you start to get a handle on there's something not working right here? That's the easiest way for a man to see that there's a problem. The erection is less strong. Uh, The normal excitement doesn't get the correct erection performance, ejaculation is weaker, he loses the uh, turgor in his penis. All these are signs that, gee whiz, it's not working as well as it used to. And what age does that normally occur around? Well, it used to be in the 70s, and now we're seeing it in the 30s. Wow, why? I believe it's because the environment is becoming more and more toxic. Since World War II, we've been poisoning our environment. We've done it with DDT. We've done it with the uh, Agent Orange. We've got it to the point where every food livestock that we eat seems to be injected with some form of estrogen, whether it's tribolone or actually diethylstobestrol pellets were used in the 50s. We're having an environment where there's a lot of plastics, and when you heat plastics, the bisphenol A becomes a xenoestrogen. A wonderful study I mentioned before was published in Men's Health. It's called Testosterone Under Attack. You can read it on the Internet. Uh, the guy, Conniff, did a wonderful presentation showing that sperm counts have dropped by 70% since 1950. Sperm counts are off, I mean, testosterone counts are off 50%. Uh, they're able to measure these poisons in populations. You talked about the prostate cancer in Denmark. 98% of the men with prostate cancer are carrying one of these derivatives of plastics and DDT. So what we've done is we've actually made the environment so toxic that men today are not the men that their grandfathers were. Okay, so tell us 
what's normal? I mean, it, I guess low normal would be considered 300 and maybe up to 1,200 if you're 18, 20 years old. Is that correct? Well, there's two factors here. And they say a normal testosterone level is between 300 and 1,200. But who wants to be average or who wants to be low average? I rarely see a testosterone level up at 750, which was considered average in the 1950s. For so, what age? Well, saying age up to 70. Really? Yes. And the problem we have is the average male that walks in my office has a testosterone level between 250 and 350. So they're at the low end of normal, quote, quote, which means they're not functioning normally. But we have the second factor that we're talking about, and that is how much testosterone is free. And this term called sex hormone binding globulin. And what this is is the testosterone molecule has to hook onto a binding protein or a carrier. It has to dock to that, be able to get to the cell. If you have too many docking uh, stations, then what happens is it doesn't get in. So we're finding that the binding proteins, which used to be a low number like 10 or 12, are now up 60, 70. So I've got a 29-year-old male comes in my office. He's six foot two. He's 190 pounds. He's got a six-pack. I say, why are you here? He says, a pretty girl's hit on me all the time, and I can't get it up. And his binding protein was 90. Uh, and therein lies one of the problems, too, because you go to some physicians, and they run your T levels, and uh, your total uh, testosterone comes out looking okay. But they're not looking at that. They're not looking at the binding protein, and I don't consider a testosterone level normal unless it's greater than 450. So when guys go to their doctor or come to see you, you need to run their blood profile, and you look at their free, their total, and the binding, correct? Right. So you, you look at that, and then you make a determination whether or not they need to pursue therapy? Right, because what happens, now this work isn't new. It was published in 1972 in Europe, and the magazines it was published by Anderson was actually Science and Nature, two of the biggest journals across the world. So the data's been out there for more than 40 years. The key is that we have the biological means to increase testosterone, and we talk about this as injections and other medications. But we also have the ability to block those toxic estrogens now. We can take that binding protein number and drop it down. How do you know when a patient comes to you and they have an inability uh, to get or sustain erections that it may not be cardiovascular in nature? Well, there's a way of finding out whether you have heart disease, and it's not your cholesterol. There's something, there's a test that's been around for now almost 40 years. It's called electron beam CAT scan, and this is a 30-second test. And what happens is in a CAT scan machine with very low radiation, they take about 200 slices in 20 seconds, and they can measure how much calcium is in your coronary arteries. So I don't care if my cholesterol is 400 or 40. If I have no calcium in my arteries, I'm fine. But what about, I mean, that's your uh, your heart arteries. What about your legs and and yeah, well, your body is your body. So the point is you, you don't have one part of your body falls apart. It, the whole body falls apart together. So if you have no calcium in your coronary arteries, you have no calcium in your carotid arteries or your brain or your leg or your penis. But if you have a lot of calcium in your heart, then you're going to have circulatory problems that affect your legs and your penis. Right. So it's just consistent. And so some of those patients who had that scenario then have a look to Viagra to dilate and allow them to have an erection, Correct. Well, understand testosterone is a more potent vasodilator than Viagra. Right. That's what I want to hear here. Yeah. So I mean, the bottom line is why go to a drug to treat one symptom when you can do go to the cause? So the guy who comes in to me, you know, it's pretty simple. One, does he look pale? 
Two, does he act depressed? Three, does he have trouble sleeping? Does four, does he have trouble with his mental focus? Number five, is he getting a little fat around the middle? Number six, is he losing his muscle tone? Number seven, does he have problems maintaining an erection? <laughs> exactly. That'd be everyone, right? Well, it just about Especially is. Especially if you live in Michigan. I'm and, depressed. I'm, you know, whatever. Well, actually, everybody over 35 really needs to be screened. But the point is you can differentiate who has circulatory problems by doing the EBT. But most of the time they come in, we don't do the EBT first. We say, try the testosterone placement. And within one, two, or three visits, say, hey, hey doc, I'm back. Right. And that tells you what the cause was. You treated it, and the problem went away. And I like that uh, you know it's bringing your, your hormone levels back to where they were when you were healthy. Your 20s and 30s, you remember how you felt, guys. Things worked. You felt good. And it's such a gradual decline that I think some of us in our 50s and 60s kind of forget the feeling until we do hormone replacement therapy. And then the good news about this is it's not a month away from getting results. You get results quick, don't you? Yeah, the first line is they say, wife, I'm back. (laughs) I'm back. He's back. And, uh, I mean, that's exciting, right? Because you, you realize that sex is more than just an act you do. It's part of who you are. It's it's. It's just it's your strength as a man. Uh, I mean, and that rolls over into business uh, on a positive aggressiveness, you know, where you can, I mean, you can be who you were. Some men just, you know, as they lose that testosterone, they get a little more docile and changes who they were. Well, in our environment, especially today, we're not retiring at, in my case, 60s and uh, 50s, 40s. Uh, we need to be able to compete with the kids coming up there are 20 years younger than us and i have no reason not to feel that i can't compete with a 40 year old any day of the week because probably my testosterone levels are higher yes and you know some say that it's more than just the physical effects it's something inside that you feel even love more when your hormones are balanced have you heard that oh it's everything i mean when i went on replacement at 42 when i crashed I came off, and the first month I filed three patents. It's that much of a difference in my life that the mental focus came back to such a degree that was just entirely different. And when we changed the formulation the last time, it's when I wrote the book and actually wrote the book in under three months. And so I I think of uh, husband and wife. They've been together 20 years. Both of their hormones have been in a state of decline. And some of those feelings have gone away, and they don't even know it. And when they both embark on a hormone replacement therapy campaign, magical things can happen in a good way. I hear it all the time. I have a couple in their 50s that comes in one day. I go, oh, what were you guys doing this morning? And they both blush. So the kids were out of the house. And before they saw the doctor, they had their time together and it was clear on their face. So the point is, yeah, I mean, we can almost put marriage counseling out of business. You know, maybe the... Maybe I'm like your partner, but it's the best sex you ever had. So, you know, it goes a different way. And with both men and women, it uh, also delivers an increased sensitivity. Is that correct? Oh, definitely. The orgasms on uh, hormone replacement are, are can be really intense. And I have women who tell me in their 40s and 50s they never had sex like this. And we're using testosterone for women. And I have since the 70s when I was a resident. This is nothing new. Even though there's no FDA-approved product for testosterone in the United States, there's testosterone approved in Europe as a patch. Now, what we do is we have compounded testosterones made up because a doctor has a right to use any approved medication 
for any reason he wants to. And there are actually testosterone estrogen preparations that are available commercially. But the safer ones are the ones that we compound or we dispense to our patients. And women on testosterone have increased mental focus. They have no depression. They have better sex drive. They have muscle tone that's better. Their cellulite goes away. They can develop muscle tone. Uh, their bones are stronger. They can forget about the Alzheimer's component. And they look much better. And the funny thing for me is because, you know, we think about the old guys. You know, we've got women. I have women that are 40s to 60s if the men are 20 years younger hitting on them. And I just think it's so much fun to see it go both ways. Absolutely. And it's not just the sexual benefits. Uh, I know a cardiologist that we're going to have on the show in a couple of weeks. He'll talk to us about the benefits for your heart. And so that's going to be exciting to explore that, too. I wanted to ask about a couple of those side effects. I mean, you go to some doctors uh, who are not, uh, d- don't really follow anti-aging wellness medicine. Um, you know, they'll tell you, you got to be careful because it shuts down sperm production. True or not true, as well as it shrinks the testicle size. Well, actually, it's very true. Actually, I'm doing a study right now where the combination of injections we're using shows almost a 98% decrease in sperm count. So we actually can use these testosterone injections and preparations as contraceptives for males. The uh, And there actually is a product they're marketing in uh, the Far East, but they're using a synthetic progestin in there so the guys get fat on the anti uh, on the contraceptive cream, my patients, you know, don't get fat, they get lean. So, yeah, you can decrease sperm count. That's normal. We've known that for 80 years. The testosterone feedback is such that the scrotum decreases in size. But we can get that to come back if that's an issue for you by using an, a product that's out there called HCG. Uh, the bottom line is what is a goal? The goal is to say maximize my sex performance and my mental attitude, which maximizing my testosterone, estrogen conversion in my brain, maximize my muscle development without making it bulky, cut down my estrogen because I know the estrogen is a cause of prostate cancer and heart disease, and balance my other hormones, get my vitamin Ds and Cs and DHEA and thyroid balanced, give me some good nutrition so I can go on living my life without a lot of pharmaceutical, surgical intervention. That's the principle we're talking about, whether it's uh, anti-aging medicine, preventive medicine. It's good medicine. Well, because... uh the word has been for years that there is the potential of uh, prostate cancer, which you have told us time and time again is not an issue. It's almost a reverse. But is it still a good idea if you're undergoing HRT for men that you have a prostate exam at least once or twice a year, get your PSAs checked? Well, that's part of my program, and this has been recommended by others as well. So you come into my office, for example, and you get your PSA. If your PSA is 902, you're not even a candidate for treatment. Once you're in the office, we get a PSA at three months, then at six months, and then every six months to a year. And I just had a gentleman who's been a patient of mine for four years, and I checked back his PSA. We actually chart him out, and he went from a 0.4 to 1.6 over a period of two years. And I said, look, this is well below any level that anybody would ever be concerned, but I want you to see a urologist because you've changed your baseline. So this is how attentive we are to this detail. And there was a one gentleman I told you that 12 years ago we picked up a prostate cancer lower than two. Mayo Clinic actually told him they never would have bothered to screen the guy, but he wasn't able to tell his people at Mayo that the people who made the diagnosis was his gynecologist. So the point is common sense is what we do. 
And yes, monitoring PSA is mandatory. No one gets a refill on their testosterone without a PSA on file. Any other side effects? I mean, there's a gynecomastia. If you take too much testosterone, it converts to estrogen. Um, enlarge breast tissue in men. Rare, but it can happen, correct? And there are ways to block that as well, I think. Right. I have a half a dozen men who've had gynecomastia, which means they have breast tissue. And most of these people had breast tissue long before they went on testosterone replacement. But the more testosterone you have for these individuals, the more estrogen it makes. So we're able to reduce the dosage because we're compounding or whether the pharmacist is compounding or we're mixing in our office here, we lower the amount of testosterone. We want to maintain sex performance. We want to decrease breast size. But there's other ways that we can biologically use medicines out there to decrease. An example, there's a drug that we use for breast cancer, which is not a cancer drug. It's an anti-estrogen. It's called tamoxifen. Another one's called Rimidex, and some men find taking that medicine works. One of my patients actually found none of them worked, so we went to the compounding pharmacist. We used a cream called dihydrotestosterone, not available. He puts a little cream on his breasts, and he has no pain. So the idea is that the doctor has to have a repertoire, both of the common and available drugs through the pharmacy and what the biochemical information is, and we're able to treat most men for gynecomastia without surgery. Well, I guess this is a reason why you really need uh, an experienced anti-aging wellness physician monitoring you, because there is some point, is there not, when you when your testosterone levels become too high, that now you're producing way too much, much estrogen, and now you're being counterproductive as far as sex goes. Oh, definitely. And this is a point I like to make is when you have the 18-year-olds who are using testosterone, and the amount of testosterone we're using for most of our males is like 100 milligrams a week. The bodybuilders are using three to 4,000, and maybe the Consecos and the Bonds are using that much too. But if you're an 18-year-old boy using testosterone, you're going to prematurely age. Because once the body sees these high peaks of testosterone, it knows how to block it. And when you see these 18-year-old kids who are playing football, at 30 they look like, quote, fat slobs because they've prematurely aged by triggering the body into responding to the testosterone. So I am against hormone replacement for 18-year-olds. I don't think hormone replacement really needs to be put into play until people have symptoms. And usually 40s, 50s, 60s are where we're focusing on treating. But the body knows better than you, and you can't fool it. Hopefully we're a little smarter than we were 20 years ago, but small doses of testosterone. The males in this office are not getting 120th, 140th the level of what these professional athletes are using. Well, when you're taking, uh, let's go back to that issue on um, if you're, you're creating too much estrogen and you're using something like a Rimidex to knock it down a bit, but if you knock it down too much, it's, it's as bad as not enough, Correct. It'd be ideal, but the Arimidex, although it's an expensive prescription medicine, doesn't really work as well as they would like you to see. And going back one step further, when you put testosterone cream on your skin, you raise your estrogen levels. So the thing that the compounding pharmacists, and we know very well, it's not only the drug, it's how you deliver it. So if I deliver the same amount of drug on your skin versus amount in an injection, it's four times more effective as an injection than if you put it on the on the uh, on the skin. So don't think that testosterone's testosterone, pills, pills, creams, creams, everything has a place and that's a part you have to know about. 
and I don't like testosterone creams for that reason. Well, uh, Brad uh, McCloskey still in studio. Uh, maybe you throw your hat in the ring here in, in regards to you know that fine line between uh, you're building up the testosterone, but if the estrogen happens, you've got a problem. If you knock it down with a Rimidex too much, you've got a problem. How do you counterbalance those? Uh, there's one other drug that we can use. Um, you can combine with the testosterone is chrysin, and that's another um, anti-estrogen. And you you simply can put that in with testosterone creams, and you can easily tailor the dose to get the the estradiol levels where you need them. So, uh, Doctor Lichten, you would um, write a prescription with that, and then how would he know what percentage of uh, that compound to build into it? To, he would just monitor the patient on an ongoing basis to see when it all works. Well, the doctor does the monitoring, and we do the blood tests. So what happens is if we say the standard dose of chrysin is? Uh, you can start anywhere from 10 milligrams up to about 100 milligrams per so, dose. So we start with 20 milligrams, and we mix it in with a uh, 10% testosterone gel. And then we went ahead and did this for two months, and then I bring the patient back, and we get the blood test. Now we have a comparison. You see, there's a science and an art to medicine. Okay, you and I have talked about the blood test and how it tells us what ballpark we're going to be in. Once you've gone ahead and get that general ballpark, then the art is to fine tune it. Yes, I gave you the testosterone cream, but you have breast tenderness. So we add the chrysin. Is it enough? Well, you come back, the blood levels are still not where we want it. You still have symptoms. Then we change it. And this is why it's important for Brad and his dad and I that we talk. And I say, what can we do about this? He says, you can do this. I say, okay, biologically, I understand how the science works. Let's do this. So this is the union, the communication. It's not that I'm writing a prescription and you're filling it at CVS and the guy says, here's a drug. We actually work to make it better for the patients. And the individualization is what makes this whole process work. Right. And, Brad, do you see uh, a lot of guys using HCG to uh, counteract uh, what we talked about earlier? With the testicle size? Yeah, it's been starting. Um, no one knew about this a few years ago, but, you know, with doctors, Dr. Lichten and other doctors who are educated on this matter, they can get it out. And, I mean, the key is, that he was saying, is we can adjust the doses to what you need, which has never been, in, which has never been available in the past. It was either you could be at 100 or you could be at 25. What if you need to tailor it in the middle? And that's the biggest key is we can make changes you know, every month, and it, it doesn't cost the patients exorbitant amounts of money. It's affordable, and uh, we have a great communication like he set up, like he said. It's what I love about this relationship. you get got a, a genius like Dr. Lichten that knows all of this stuff and then combines it with your expertise to custom because there's just not a one-size-fits-all. And together, compound pharmacist, the right doctor, the perfect ratio for you. Might take a week or two, right, to, to figure it out or a month. But once you get your numbers right, the people I talk to, they sing the praise of hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, sometimes it takes more than a month. Please give us a little time <laughs> to cure people of their complaints. We'll move on then. For women now, we talked a lot uh, about men. And when they get it right, some of those ED drugs can go away. They're feeling better mentally, physically. And they're back to their old self with sex, and that's a great thing. For women, though, a lot of them seems embark on this uh, sexual journey, if you will, 
during menopause or shortly thereafter when they experience the negative symptoms of menopause. Is that true? No question, but let me just back back step for a minute. The studies in the literature show that if a man doesn't get his response with Viagra, two-thirds of them will respond with testosterone and the Viagra. So the bottom line is just because a doctor gave you Viagra and didn't work, it doesn't mean that you still have a problem. It miss, means they missed the diagnosis. So it fail with Viagra, come back, get their testosterone, forget their Viagra, everything's working. So the first thing is treat the cause. Now, women, because I'm a gynecologist, I've been replacing testosterone in women since 1972. And trust me, I've built a practice on testosterone women. They want to have a mental focus. They're done having kids. They're in their second part of their life. Many of them are involved in business. They may be traveling with their husbands. They don't want to feel dead, woody, you know, out of it. I call it counting tiles. You know, looking at the tiles during sex, saying, "What do I have to do tomorrow? I got to go shopping. Are you done yet?" Uh, trust me, this is commonplace. The point is, they want to live. And after kids, there is a life. And the point is, why not have the mental focus? Ask a woman, why are you here? Where are your car keys? What was it you're supposed to remember have done today? And they all tell you, I don't have the mental focus that I think I want. That's testosterone. Uh, I'm getting flabby. I have cellulite. Uh, I can't build muscle even though I'm in the gym working out like crazy. The doctors tell me my bones are getting thinner even though I'm in the gym. I'm getting fat. I don't, I'm not happy. Uh, sex is no fun. Uh, do we just keep going on and on? All the midlife crises that women go through, including the hot flashes, are more testosterone deficient than estrogen deficient. And this isn't me talking. Barbara Sherwin, Ph.D. on McGill, published more than 25 articles 25 years ago saying this. Replace estrogen, yes. Replace testosterone, even more important. Uh, testosterone uh even important with women, as you said, but the ratio is much less than men, right? Women basically have a dosage about one-fourth of what we give the men, okay? And uh, that's really very comfortable to them. So if we give a 10% cream to men, we'll give a 2% cream to women. Therapy for men is primarily testosterone. Definitely. Period. Right. With women, it's more than that, Right. I'm, with the women, the uh, testosterone can be used uh, applied vaginally, and um, it, it can also be used on the skin depending on you know vaginal use. They get a um, you can apply it before intercourse, and it, many women are so frustrated. Uh, we get so many phone calls that their doctors, their traditional doctors, just are not helping them. Their sex drive is it's gone, and you know we, I've worked with them from patients from Doctor Lipton, and when we get the dose right, they're it's amazing their happiness level really you know you get phone calls and they're thanking you and you know they, they haven't found this relief and it's amazing once they can find someone to get the right dosage for them with the right dose that they feel like you know their their sex life is back and they actually they're so happy about it and the thing is uh brad and joe will mix in the estrogen and testosterone in the right base because if you think of the testosterone base you're using on the rest of your skin like in the androgel uh, this may have an alcohol and be very irritating vaginally. So they have a, is it POL? Is that yeah, the right one? Yeah, an emollient cream. It's almost like a moisturizer cream. So you mix the testosterone and estrogen together. So they have the vaginal lubrication and the drive all in one cream, which they can apply to what level they want. A little dab will do you, a little bit more will do you more. So you can dose up when you need to. So before sex, 
They can put the cream on and have a response 10 minutes later. They can use a little bit during the day and have a good sense of well-being throughout the day. And then the progesterone creams, which women, natural progesterone creams, not Provera creams, they can actually be applied to other parts of the body. And I have a number of women who like applying progesterone creams because it maintains, they feel, their breasts turgor. May not make it a half a cup size bigger, but their breasts seem to be a little bit firmer because progesterone receptors are in the breast. So we can target organs with the creams. Now, even doctors that are not anti-aging wellness-based, they, uh, gynecologists, have been using uh, estrogen. uh, What do you call it, Brad? How do you apply that? Vaginally. uh, And and a, a woman will use that once a week? No, every day. Do you need that much, or can you use it just? Well, you weekly? don't need a full four-part applicator every day. I tell every, I tell my women patients one inch or one quarter applicator is enough, and it's actually the amount of estrogen absorbed through the vagina is enough for some women to go for eight to twelve hours. So, especially put the estrogen cream in before you go to bed at night. If you think it's too much, you can use a shower off any excess that comes out, or wear a mini pad. The point is, you have enough estrogen before you go to bed that you won't have a hot flash. So even if you're not doing estrogen, and please understand, even patients who have breast cancer, the oncologists work with me, they'll let me use forms of estrogen and testosterone on women so they don't have severe hot flashes. And one way we do this is with estrogen vaginal cream. And that, and that as we said, generally accepted by oh, gynecologists. Yeah. Estrogen vaginal cream has been around since 1940, and you can buy a prescription for it called Estrace. So the anti-aging wellness HRT portion comes when you blend the different Right, because there's no testosterone for women in the U.S., although it's available every other country in the world. How can women not be just banging your door down? You said things like lose your cellulite? Oh, yeah. You've seen some of my women patients in their 40s and 50s. They look like they're ready for... Uh, for a bikini competition with the girls in their 20s, and I put a number of these girls up to win. Well, what about these natural hormone therapies, these over-the-counter things, uh, primrose oil, uh, yam products? I mean, there's a bunch of so-called natural stuff that you take. Well, if it's over-the-counter, that's what it's worth. So the uh, there's a doctor, uh, his name was John Lee. He produced a he – he was a family practitioner. I lectured with him in Belgium, matter of fact, of 15 years ago. His point was you can use progesterone cream – and there's a 2% solution that you can buy over the counter. Now, when Brad makes it up for me, we never use less than 4%. And some of these 2% over-the-counter creams really don't have a whole lot in them. Not necessarily the one product, but I'm going to tell you, progesterone is a very minor hormone. Uh, its effect, if you have nothing on board, it might be significant. But compared to the estrogen and testosterone, uh, progesterone is not going to turn too many heads. But Women who had nothing, many found this to be beneficial. I have some women who use progesterone in higher concentrations even to treat their PMS, and that's been done since the 1950s. So natural products that you can buy over the counter are going to be weaker. They're not regulated. They're not going to have the concentrations that you will with a compounding pharmacy. And uh, I don't use over-the-counter hormone products. Now, having said all of that, there still are some women that manage to go through menopause and do just fine. Is that correct? I mean, I've heard women say, well, I didn't really have any problems. I mean, maybe they have dryness issues, but they certainly weren't feeling crazy like some women. Well, on the on uh, the one show you were talking about, Oprah, the woman said, let's celebrate our menopause, okay? 
And I said, well, you want to celebrate when you're buried in, in the ground, too? I mean, the point is what God gave us was the ability to change our environment both inside and out. I don't see this woman living in a cave with no clothes. We have the ability to understand what's happening to our body and our environment. And we have a choice. If you don't want to take estrogen, that's fine. I had one woman recently in 50s, and she came in, and we talked about sex drive, and we talked about this, and I gave her one of my injections. She came back and says, I can't do that again. I said, why? She says, I was actually out of control, and I can't be out of control in my relationship. I said, well, that's fine. We could tone it down. She says, oh, no, I don't want to go there again. So, yeah, you don't have to feel good. You can feel miserable. Yes, you can have your bones fall apart. Yes, you can have Alzheimer's. Yeah, you can be miserable, or you have a choice. And what we're able to show recently is that there is an increase in coronary calcification that's going crazy. The instance of diabetes in the world went from 30 million in 1985 to expected 400 million in the year 2030. That's an increase of over 15 times in under 50 years. There's something sick out here. So if you want to rejoice in the sickness in the environment, hey, it's your life. But I'm going to fight it, and I'm going to use my intelligence and the compounding products and the prescription medicines that are natural to counteract what the environment is throwing at me. And that's our program today, everyone. I want to thank Brad McCloskey for being here. We've learned a lot about compound pharmacies. Thanks for coming. Dr. Licton, always a pleasure to be here with you. And in the coming weeks, we have a chiropractor coming in. We'll be talking about health issues that affect us from a chiropractor's point of view, and we're going to be talking to a fascinating cardiologist out of Toledo. Thank you all for listening today on iTunes or wherever else you picked us up. If you'd like more information from Dr. Lichten, you can reach him at his office at 248-593-9999. Again, Dr. Lichten's number, 248-593-9999. Check him out on the web as well. He's got a great website, a lot of resources out there for you. It's usdoctor.com. It's usdoctor.com. If you'd like to ask a question to Dr. Lichten, be our guest and shoot us an email and send it to usdoctorradio.com. The email address one more time is usdoctorradio.com. I'm Steve Peck. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you again next week.